You're listening to The Path Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. All right, guys. Welcome to yet another episode of The Path Podcast. Um, We're here again at uh, the Live Oak location of The Path. Um, We have a special guest host here tonight, um, Josh. We've uh, talked about, or we've talked about him a few times in uh, past episodes, and now he's finally here to join us. And uh, I'm also here with Ak, as usual, and Nathan, myself. Hello. And uh, as we normally start the show, Ak is going to fill you in on all the exciting news of the Path Bike Shop of Southern California. All right. Hey, thanks, Nathan. It's good to be back. And let's see. Uh, standard events at the bike shop are, if you're ever here in Southern California, Tustin Live Oak, check out the, the website, www.thepathbikeshop.com, and head over to events. There are weekly shop rides, generally led by members of the race team and or employees. You have uh, night rides on Thursday. You've got Saturday mountain bike rides, which are typically a little bit uh, uh, pitched at a little bit more of an intermediate advanced ride. You've got Sunday mountain bike ride. We've talked about that over the years. Has been the most consistent ride, all levels uh, type of riding. Some road rides uh, that get scheduled and the likes. Uh, but something that we've been pitching here is the seventh annual holiday lights ride. So again, get dressed up in your in your cutest or ugliest uh, Christmas sweater. Join us on Sunday, December twentieth. Uh, we'll rally at the bike at the at the Path Bike Shop in Tustin. I think that's around 7 o'clock, uh, rally about, and then head out for the ride to check out the Christmas lights uh, throughout Tustin. It's a great ride, family-friendly. Uh, folks come, and, and it's really an easy pace, um, safe, lots of people. Uh, check out some really cool holiday lights. So um, there's also some demos going on. Uh, again, it's it's kind of tough to list them here because we're still catching up on our content, so just typically on any given Saturday or Sunday, uh, look at the website and you'll find uh, whether it be Intense or Giant, Kona, Marin. There's a whole bunch of different uh, bike manufacturers that drop in weekly or from time to time. Generally, they run from 9 to 3. Just bring your pedals, uh, a license, and a helmet, and you'll be ready to go. One of the things that I noticed here on the website that's actually pretty cool these days is it's the holidays. So whether it's Happy Kwanzaa or Happy Hanukkah or Merry Christmas, whatever your whatever your creed might be, uh, check out on the website under holidays. There's some cool uh, holiday gift picks. So you can check out what would Tawny give uh, if you were to give somebody a, a holiday gift. And I'll actually spoil it. He would gift to somebody A Life of Mountain Bike Adventures, book by Hans Ray. 29 bucks. You can check it out at the at the Path Bike Shop. Uh, you can see some of the other shop employees' uh, gift picks, whether it be Carla, Carla, Carla of the social media and website fame for the Path Bike Shop. She's got a couple of very cool tools uh, and bike maintenance type of uh, uh, items. Well, let me ask you guys this. Josh, 
as the guest, as the guest, what would you put on your holiday list if you could, uh, uh, if you could fill this out on the on the Path Bike Shop? Well, I haven't looked at that list, Eric, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I would, you know, disposable items, um, stuff like stands, stands, fluid, uh, cables. You know, it's hard to tell somebody that hey, I need a uh, four hundred millimeter reverb. <laughs> with a stealth dropper, you know, like that yeah. stuff. That stuff doesn't fly with my family, <laughs> but uh, you, you can give them easy items or or gift cards. Yeah, I, I actually I agree with Josh. So every once in a while, when I wander into the shop after work, or you know, a lot of times I have like kind of a long day after work. I'm like, I just want to stop by the bike shop and hang out. I still always feel obligated to buy something, and I I will never feel bad about buying a quart of stands because I know it's not going to go to waste. You know what? I actually find myself in that similar situation. And lately, uh, the path actually has a really cool selection of energy type trail foods. So not just your standard, they do carry the standard goo packs or, or, uh, what do you call it? Stinger, stinger honey packets and, and, and gel blocks. And, and, and may I just say on our recent trip to Sedona, um, boom, boom, it was awesome. (laughs) I was man. Those gel blocks in the middle of the trail were were a hit. So any any mountain biker, it's like candy. It's like gummy candy. So and, the- and just a side note, I would just like to say, Ock is the most generous trail riding companion because <laughs> I finished half of every one of his Guchamp packs every time, and every time he pulls one out, it's being pointed towards me. I'm like, uh, okay, okay, I'll grab four. Hey, <laughs> okay, talk to me about those goo packs. Are, are those you know, I've had experience with the other gel products, not the not the liquid, but the little the bite sized uh-huh. stuff, candy like stuff in the past. I really like the honey stinger stuff. Is the goo chomp product, you know, any good? Yeah. So um, actually, you know what? Is it chalky? That's what I'm getting uh, at. Is it actually, chalky? Correction. I believe Ock had honey stinger bites. It it was it was the honey ah. stinger bites. Yes, yeah. but I've used goo I'm chomps. A fan. Yeah, I'm a f- I'm a fan of the honey stinger, but I'm afraid to go anywhere else because I've had the other stuff in the past. And I so here's the only reason that I like the goo chomps particularly is they are not sticky. They they somehow coat them with something that I they think, don't stick together. I think that's what I don't like. Ah, okay. Well, there yeah. you go. I don't mind pulling them apart. I'll happily pull them apart all day because. I don't care if they put dead seals in those things. They're so damn good. <laughs> dead seal flavor. Yeah. That dead, sounds like a good one. Dead seal meat, and they line your shoes with the, the fur of the seal babies? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Just none of that stuff that makes them not stick together. I don't care. So the other one I like is, what is the one that comes in the, it's it's not a tube, but it, uh, they're, they're square, they're cubes. Oh, the cliff, uh, the cliff blocks. Yeah, the cliff blocks. That some people stick directly on their bikes in bike races. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got uh, half life. I don't want it. No, that's true. And so what I was doing was um, Cliff Blocks makes the margarita flavor, and it's really good because it's a, it's got a little bit of a salty flavor to it. And if you just happen to bring a little flask of of tequila to go along with it. Talk about a trailside margarita! Oh, boom! There you <laughs> boom. go. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. I got to say, I got to say. Yeah, definitely. But friends don't let friends ride drunk. Okay. 
all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so check out the Path, uh, the Path, Path Bike Shop uh, website. They've got uh, some pretty cool uh, gift gift ideas, and um, you know it's it's a it's a cool little peruse perusal for sure. And take Josh's advice if you have a um, if you have a family member who is a very avid cyclist, you can't go wrong with the disposables. True. Oh, hey, by the way. What's what's awesome is I just got a, a an ad or an email from the Path Bike Shop. I think right now I don't know how long it's running for, but they've got um, if you buy gift cards in, let's see, you you can get a a hundred dollar gift card for eighty five dollars. That is a good stocking stu- stocking stuffer for the um the California locals. That's right. Yep. Tuesday, December eighth. Through Sunday, December 13th, only purchase a $100 gift card, pay just $85. And you can, you can buy up to 10 of these. So, hey, if you, if you want to give away gifts, that's a really, well, I'd be happy to receive a, a $100 gift card. Um, or if, if you want to actually, I mean, that's, that's kind of a cool way. You know, you spend a, you know, get $1,000 worth of gift cards for 850 bucks. That might be a way to kind of go a little bit of ways to finding a nice, uh, uh, nice bike or or what have you? Yeah, definitely. And uh, just for fun, let's see what Fabian Brel has to say about that. Il faut malgré tout rester positif et toujours aller de l'avant. Okay, so I'm going to translate for you. Fabian Brel says that is a killer deal, and you should go to the path, and you should totally buy those gift cards. <laughs> I just, love it. Just to clarify. All right, awesome. that's what Fabian Brel said. That's what Fabian Brel said. All right, so hey, thanks for bearing with me on the uh, on shop news. Uh, moving on to. Uh, to actually our, our actual podcast. So I think what Nathan was kind of mentioning. Yeah, so uh, I think um, as people have kind of listened to our show start, um, that we are actually actively now recording episode eight. Um, we just kind of go with the topics of the time, and I think we're going to kind of follow that format. Um, and uh, I think actually before we start out, I'm going to let Josh, we'll give a little bit of background about who Josh is as a rider standpoint. And then uh, basically we're just going to take turns bringing up topics and we're going to exhaust them until we're done and then we'll go on to the next one. But since Josh is our uh, guest host, we will let him um, start the first topic. But before, I just want to give a little bit of background uh, on Josh and uh, I guess I'll I'll kick it off a little bit. Josh is a super solid expert cross-country racer for the PATH team. Josh is a washed up cross country. Come on now. (laughs) False humility goes nowhere here. Uh, Yeah, I think the people duking it out at the lead of some of the local races would have some dispute to that. (laughs) But um, so, Josh is a. How long have you been riding, Josh? Since 1991. 1991. So, a solid veteran in the sport. Um, Been racing probably since about then as well. Yeah, about then. Yeah. And. the, the cool thing about Josh, I've been racing with Josh off and on for a few years now, and um, I think a lot of senior riders, and Josh is kind of in this boat as well. As you mean I'm old? <laughs> you're, you're a well-seasoned rider. I, 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 I myself am also a 20-year mountain bike veteran. Um, Josh knows how to pick good races. He introduced me to the Downeyville race. And helped me understand the logistics of going to Downeyville and uh, where to stay, how to race it, how to get to the start, and all those kinds of things. So Josh has an eye for good races. I do that on purpose, actually, because the way life works, I'm sure Ock can appreciate this. Um, 
the last, you know, since we started having kids seven or eight years ago, uh, it's only worth it to me to race when I'm fit and only worth it to me to race races that I really enjoy when I'm fit. So uh, Downeyville has always been one of those events and uh, certainly I, I know you guys have talked about Downeyville on the podcast already, so we don't need to go down that road. But, uh, yeah, Downeyville, Whiskey 50, um, several others yeah. that are within a day's or so drive from Southern California. Yeah, definitely. And, and Josh is an excellent planner as well. And um, whenever I say, yes, I will join you on this race, uh, Josh will take care of more than his fair share, which is very nice. You can be assured you go racing with Josh, uh, there will not be a whole lot of loose ends on the mm-hmm. entire endeavor which is solid and i enjoy that i very much enjoy racing with josh you mean i'm anal in in a very good way though because let's be realistic the details of race weekends matter you want to have a good time yeah you always want to have a good time yes for sure yeah so um uh yeah and josh is uh leans a little bit more towards the cross-country side of things for sure definitely reaches into the trail side and i have struggled chasing josh down trails as uh as well as watching him fade away on the climbs, uh, <laughs> meaning I'm falling back and he's climbing ahead. And that's the truth. Even on <clears throat> not just your t- typical um, uh, cross-country type downhills and, and fast flowy stuff, but I've ridden with Josh on some, again, local, very gnarly, steep, chunky uh, technical trails. And same thing. I'm struggling to keep up with Josh on his, on his much shorter travel 29er uh, bike and uh, he's an impressive rider both up and down i'm not gonna be able to get out of here at the end of the night but <laughs> i appreciate all the kind words yeah so so let's talk about this this problem that you are all uh, sort of aware of um and, and we'll start by talking about my background a little bit which is that i i am very much coming from a cross-country background you know i'm used to being um you know spread out on my bike and having narrow bars and in the last five years only of my riding experience have i gotten to where those sort of habits are changing a little bit. And so it's only maybe been in the last three or four years that I've started riding bikes with more than 100 millimeters of rear travel. As you affectionately call them, donkey bikes. Donkey bikes, Mm -hmm. yeah. Now I realize for most people that probably are listening to this, 130 millimeters of travel is still not very much. But uh, for me, it's it's sort of changed some things. And particular to that, it's changed um, the way I fit on a bike. And I've come to realize because of some sort of unique uh, features in the way that I'm shaped. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I have some some fairly unique fit issues, and, and one of those problems is that I have a 34-inch inseam and a size 7.5 foot. So uh, this and I, is... And I think you might be 5'8"? Uh, yeah, I'm about 5'9". Five 5'9". Nine. Five yeah, nine. yeah so I'm not, not real tall, average height, um, super thin, so I, I like really light bikes. Um, but... But this particular problem is one that I think is is being driven partially at least by the incongruity between my leg length and my foot length. Um, and that is that on longer travel bikes that sit deep in the travel that have a lot of sag, uh, I can't get my knee over the pedal spindle. Uh, I just – with the saddle rail slammed all the way forward and the bike sag properly, it's been a real struggle to uh, find bikes that fit, even bikes with fairly vertical seat tubes. So the particular problem is on – uh, uh, Rocky Mountain Instinct trail bike, which is 130 millimeter 29er. Um, I cannot get far enough forward to feel like on that bike that I, I can really climb efficiently and um, 
have power like I do on my other bikes. And it's really been a struggle for me. It causes some pain. It limits the amount of time I can ride the bike. And it just makes the whole experience less enjoyable. So for the last few years, we've been trying to figure this out, how much of that is driven by my body shape and how much of that is driven by um, just the, the nature of the bike being sagged that much. And Nathan and Tawny have gone back and forth um, between engineer speak and dorky bike fit speak <laughs> and, and have – there's a number of problems here. But the bottom line is I need to be farther forward. That's the one thing that everybody that analyzes the problem agrees on. And so what we've come up with and, – and here's the fun part – is a uh, the old specialized – command post, which is the only post that gives you two things, 20 millimeters of offset and infinite seat angle adjustability. Right. So backwards. <laughs> yes. Backwards. It is backwards. <laughs> backwards. Um, and, and we all think that's stupid looking, but uh, you know, we all sort of came up with this idea, or, or at least Nathan and Tawny did, or maybe, maybe Brian, another guy who works here at the shop, did, contributed to the solution. Uh, over the last few months, and I actually went on eBay and bought one of those posts and uh, turned it around, and lo and behold, problem solved. Now I can yeah. ride that bike for four or five or six hours, and I think I'm going to be good. I haven't done that yet, but I yeah. have ridden it for two, and uh, the problem is definitely better. Well, and, and uh, you know, just uh, I've talked to Josh at length over the last couple of years about this very problem. And some of you may ask, well, why did it take so long to try this? Well, a uh, combination of reasons. One is this particular dropper post is not ideal. It's really, and, and I want to clarify, this is the old specialized mm-hmm. command post, not the new one that's internal routable. So this bike is, or this seat post, um, you have to find a old discontinued one. It has a seat clamp that while does provide infinite adjustment, unfortunately, when you hit it hard enough, it can slip. So that's yeah. a reality. If, if Josh slams the nose of the seat really hard on a G-out or something like that, it, it can slip. And we all know this uh, this cup and cone style uh, seat post head. And, uh, and the other thing is that this is uh, external routed only, which these days in this day and age is fairly uh, out of style yeah well if we were worried about the aesthetics of the thing we wouldn't have gone down this road to begin with <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that is true it is definitely ugly um yeah. but to you know in addressing a little bit about the the fear of, of hitting the nose of the saddle and and having it you know fold up which i've had happen on that particular seat post on other bikes um when it's turned around backwards and you've got the seat really far forward, you're far less likely to be on the nose of it. At least I yeah. am uh, because you're sitting in the right place on the saddle and my sit bones are where they need to be to get my knee over spindle. And yeah. that happens to not be always on the nose of the saddle. So Yeah, and, and something I, I want to bring up, and this is something that we've um, discussed related to all-mountain trail bikes, is um, super steep seat angles really make these super long travel bikes pedalable and and uh, essentially Josh just needs more of it. He needs a 77 degree seat angle in reality or something like that. I actually haven't sat down and kind of sketched out to maybe guess exactly what your seat angle went to. Um but uh that's the reality is that you know most all mountain enduro bikes are starting to knock up against about 75 degrees on the seat angle, sometimes mm-hmm. 74, 75 on these six inch travel bikes. But 
especially around here, as we've talked about before in Southern California, we have steep terrain both ways, unfortunately. And these long travel bikes, when you're climbing, they sag into their travel and it's much more exaggerated, meaning a 10% extra sag in the rear is way more millimeters and way more degree of swing in your seat post. So um, it, uh, it just shows how important it is to be able to climb these these donkey bikes up the hill. Donkey bikes. Well, and just as a point of reference, that Rocky Mountain instinct uh, with the with the length of fork that that Josh is running, probably a one forty. One forty. Yeah. So, like a one forty pike, uh, that has a C tube angle of set just under seventy three degrees. Little on slightly slack. Slightly slack, and then when it's you a few s- years old, so and yeah. when you sag that, so by by way of comparison, the Kona Process uh, one fifty three, which is you know you've heard us talk about that, which is a uh, one fifty three travel on the back, one sixty on the front, or the way I have it set up is a one sixty on the front. Uh, that seat tube angle is seventy four. Uh, take a bike like the Nomad uh, Santa Cruz Nomad. And the the seat tube even gets uh, a little bit steeper at seventy four point two. That happens to be a bike that Nathan's riding. Yeah. So a lot of these these modern or or more modern uh, updated geometry type bikes have uh, the seat tubes are getting steeper and steeper. And a bike that you've heard us talk about even more is this uh, the the transition carbon scout uh, patrol patrol. Well, sorry, p- patrol and scout. I think yep. have the their uh, cousin bikes. And so they're going to have uh, seat tube angles closer to 75, 75 and a half. So really helping the situation uh, offset the situation that Josh runs into. I can't possibly be the only guy in the world that has this problem. I think that's what baffles me about it is, is either I'm the only guy who has it or everybody else is tolerating it. You know, so, I, I think it's a combination of things. And I would guess like we've seen this evolution, you know, what, 10 years ago, bikes with a 71 and a half degree seat angle weren't entirely uncommon. Um, but we're seeing bikes with now steeper and steeper, ever, like ever so slightly more and more. But these bikes are allowing us to access steeper areas. And the reality is a lot of these steeper trails, steeper downhill trails are accessed by, unfortunately, quite often steeper uphill trails. So we're taking these heavier duty bikes trying to find these steeper trails and we got to climb steeper stuff to get to them and uh i think it's just an evolution and a convergence of factors um that uh and and also let's just be realistic when was the last time you saw a six inch or a a dropper post on the market that people are buying with a offset to the rear they're basically as you found out trying to find the command post are kind of going extinct yeah as they should <laughs> well, yeah. and so just as a you know, if I like what Josh touched on, he can't be the only one uh, in the in the world uh, suffering from this. And so, if you're th- the type of person who has um, disproportionately long legs relatively to your height, um, I I actually am exactly the opposite. I'm I'm maybe a half inch shorter than Josh, so about five eight and a half. And I have dwarfism in my legs. <laughs> so I think my cycling inseam is actually about 30.5. So yeah. I'm like four, a full four inches shorter on the legs than, than Josh is. And so the knee over pedal spindle on the, uh, and the seat angle on longer travel bikes is, is less of an issue. And I actually have, I'm, I'm that guy who walks, walks into a shoe store looking at the clearance rack and can't find anything because I have a size nine or nine and a half foot. <laughs> So they're all gone. Exactly. Yeah, they're yeah. all gone. Everyone has a size nine or a nine and a half foot. Do you run one seventy fives? 
do I run crank arm length? Oh, I actually do run 175s, but that's something I've been I've been toying or yeah. talk, thinking about of maybe trying something like a 172 and a half or even one 170. Yeah, yeah. Because talking to another local local fast guy, um, um, Chris Heinrich, he's a, another path uh, path race racer. <clears throat> He's about five, I don't know, maybe five, 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 six. He's That's a little shorter. A little bit shorter. Uh, he's actually like local pro. Uh, you'll find him at the near the front of the pack at, at local pro type XC racers uh, races, and he's running a, a one seventy crank arm. Is he? Yeah. 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 He must have short femurs. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm definitely glad that uh, Josh brought that up. I I have a ongoing list of potential topics for our show and I'm I'm definitely glad Josh was here to um share his uh to sh- share his knowledge on the seat post. One last thing before we let it go. The the unique thing about that post is that uh the release, the the part of the mechanism that the cable attaches to and actuates is designed to be on the front. So when you flip it around backwards, it actually if there could be anything clean about it <laughs> a minor silver lining <laughs> yeah mercifully there's something good going on there that it's on the back it looks better on the back even though you know it's pushing the saddle forward i'll actually attest to that because um i, I actually noticed that uh, yeah. when i rode with josh and when they when they're going the right way they look stupid yeah <laughs> it looks lo- slightly less stupid. slightly less way. stupid yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah definitely you know, actually, I'm just looking at my notes, and since we have Josh here and he is our guest host, um, there's another topic that he brought up and something that we've talked about a little bit in the past is the application of the 27.5 plus bike. And uh, it sounded like Josh had a distinct experience on a Joplin ride, either around one or... Oh, he, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... Uh here a few weeks ago, uh, we do an annual Thanksgiving ride in Orange County that um, on a warm year attracts maybe 150 people um, up in our local mountains. Uh, there's a particular place where everybody meets. Regardless of how you get there, it's probably a 3,000 or so foot climb. Um, and it was reasonably warm this year, so there were probably 100 people there. Um, anyway, we, we people get there different ways traditionally and leave different ways and one of the ways to get down is a local sort of semi-backcountry trail called Joplin that's pretty raw um it's one of those trails that I think the forest service would prefer not exist but does and uh, a lot of people ride down at that particular day so uh <clears throat> I rode down with some friends and uh met some other guys at the top ended up um these other guys were on these new specialized 27.5 plus bikes. I don't know what Specialized calls them. I guess they're stump jumpers, right? Full, full suspension bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full suspension bikes. They're stump jumpers. Um, stump jumper FSR. I don't know. I'm sure there's a whole alphanumeric in there that I'm forgetting. <laughs> but uh, Bottom line is these things had, what, what are they, three-inch wide tires? Uh, I, I believe most of the plus stuff is, yeah, 3.0, and then the 4.0, yeah. 5.0 stuff is uh, fat bike territory, full full fat bike. Okay, so, so, maybe so this like is somewhere in between a, a wide 29er tire, right, or a wide 27.5-inch mm-hmm. tire and a full fat bike tire. Yeah. Um, and this particular trail has a, a number of cool features, and one of which is a giant scree slope that's got um, 
you know, embedded rock underneath it. So yeah, you're you're talking about the line where like it's it opens up wide enough. And you're like, where yeah. do I go? I don't know. Right, <laughs> right, all right. There's a number of different ways you can go down. So we ended up um, kind of down at the bottom of that thing and being caught by these guys as they came down and um, watching them descend that particular feature as if it didn't matter, as if grip were not an issue, was fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, and it, it gave me an appreciation for those bikes. Now, these are good riders. At least I, I know one of them fairly well, and I know him well enough to be impressed by his riding um, in, in other venues. But uh, it, it, he wasn't even trying, and these bikes were just going down this stuff in an amazing way that gave me a whole new appreciation for those bikes in that terrain. I have no idea how they climb. They probably suck when you get them going really fast because of all that undamped air in the tire <laughs> but when you're going about 15 miles an hour sliding down a scree slope they looked awesome nice nice well and uh just to i guess loop it back a little bit why i wanted to bring that up is because few a handful of episodes back we had discussed like what is 27.5 plus right. four and when we kind of came to the conclusion that it's a good low cost option for a higher functioning hardtail in other words, it'd give you a hardtail that can maybe tackle some bigger terrain. It sounds like some of the brands and the ones that you saw are coming online with some full suspension ones. I know one that uh, you can get at the path is the uh, the Rocky Mountain full suspension 27.5 plus. And, um, is that the Sherpa? What's that thing called? Something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's... I. So in talking to Josh, I was really surprised to hear that there was kind of a experienced difficult trail uh pro to the you know are like a positive to the these bikes i like i said we'd initially theorized that hey what's a 27.5 or who is a 27.5 plus four it's for your beginner but sounds like these were expert guys um riding more primitive trails with greater ease yeah for sure uh i would I would love to have experienced those bikes on that trail and um enough so that maybe maybe one day i'll you know have the opportunity to demo one here as they become more prevalent in the market. But um, they sure looked fantastic in, in the, you know, the kind of terrain that we have here in our raw backcountry trails, which is loose, definitely loose, certainly steep. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of loose over hard, loose over, you know, embedded rock, that kind of thing. Uh, and real steep. The, you know, one of the guys got to the bottom. I think his comment was, I, I never needed more grip. Nice. Yeah, yeah, you know, they weren't even. They area, weren't really sure. skidding. Um, it's yeah. just kind of how I survive <laughs> down that trail. <laughs> right. Um, right. And uh, you know, I think the other thing that attracts me about them is I've been slow to adapt to the intermediate wheel, the twenty-seven and a half inch wheel size, um, largely because I'm a, I'm a dork and I just like to run stuff over. I'm not <laughs> a jumper. Um, the bike always stays on the ground, and so a bigger wheel helps me in that regard. And I think that the nominally the the wheel diameter with the bigger. 27 and a half inch plus tire is about the same as 29. That's my understanding. I haven't measured it, but that's based on what I've read about them kind of looking at profiles. It kind of makes sense. The OD kind of matches up. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so that Rocky Mountain is the Sherpa and it's running the WTB uh, 2.8, uh, let's see, 2.8 trail, Trailblazer. Oh, the, yeah, the WTB one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that really is an interesting take. Like we. <laughs> We kind of said it's a it's a kind of an entry level that's going to give your your beginner uh, rider kind of that uh, more enjoyable, more controlled type of uh, experience. 
For sure. I think, uh, you know, I asked one of these guys who is a, a really good rider um, in all regards. He's a super powerful climber and an incredible descender. Uh, if it's easier to ride, and he said, yeah, for sure. The stability is, is very much there. And, you know, I need all the help I can get. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, uh, not definitely, but meaning to Josh's point, these trails are some, sometimes pretty raw and like, you know, a little bit of help getting down scree slopes and stuff after on hour four of a ride mm-hmm. would might be welcome i think it'd be the kind of bike that i would want just for riding here in the santa Anas. you know i don't yeah. know if i would ever find myself wanting to race it i suspect there's the the wheel tire the rolling assembly is pretty heavy yeah. probably and doesn't accelerate well but um for you know fun riding on our local stuff it'd probably yeah. be an awesome bike you know, and, and uh, one thing I want to bring up is uh, once upon a time in my past, I, I lived in uh, uh, central New Mexico, and I, I went to school at a college there called New Mexico Tech, and we had some mountain ranges outside of town, very small school, very few um, students, and we kind of owned that mountain range. Like, I think my four years there, we saw like four people the entire time outside of our group that was riding up there. So... Um, a lot of these trails, we were literally looking them up on 25-year-old U.S. geological survey maps and finding these really old trails. And they, like, quite often we're going on these kind of exploratory rides and we would find ourselves descending very long, old fire roads that were just crazy rocky and to the point where they weren't fun. And so (laughs) I guess what I'm almost theorizing is a bike like this with these fat tires might be a fun kind of exploration bike or if you have a lot of you know like if i was still living out in new mexico i wasn't gonna buff out a hundred miles of primitive single track in the mountains like you got to adapt to the quality of your trails and if they're not buffed out and flowy and primitive and rocky and backcountry maybe this is a a 27.5 bike might be for you yeah that sounds like a really good application for it for me, it would come down to whether or not I could afford a bike that I was never going to race. Because in the he- in my head, in the back of my head, anytime I buy a bike, eh, the racer's I, dilemma. Yeah, could I could I do that with this bike? You know? what, apl- what what race application does this right. bike fit in? Right? Yeah. How am I going to make this thing weigh two pounds than it weighs? <laughs> well, two pounds and, less than it weighs coming off the floor. And and to that point, I have participated with this rationalization with Josh. Is that trail bikes really don't have a race place? Unless you start talking about Downeyville. Right. And then they're Downeyville bikes. <laughs> well, and going back to our earlier conversation, that, you know, the thing that's kept me from racing, my instinct at Downeyville, is it doesn't fit. And, you know, ah. there's an hour long climb at the beginning of Downeyville that I, I want to be able to make as much power as I can. And yeah. uh, my other bike choice was a tall boy, and I've ridden the tall boy, but now that might change, right? Boom. Yeah. yeah Boom. <laughs> so, well, and the cool thing is about your Rocky Mountain is you have a remote, uh, uh, a rear, at least a remote yeah. uh, CTD rear shock that you can yep. um, shorten up that rear travel and then lean into it. And like that Downeyville climb, man, there are parts where you full on slip out because of steep and looseness yeah. on a fire road climb. Yeah, it's a hard climb for sure. And, uh, and, and you know, I think that race, my, my MO at that race has always been I end up in the top you know, two or three or four guys in my field going over the top, and I always finish about eighth. <laughs> so that's just how it goes. Now, you know, having a little more bike, I, the bike weighs about a pound more than my tall boy, I think, maybe a pound and a half. Yeah. Um, 
and is going to climb as well now or close to as well minus the weight uh, and be much more capable going downhill. So that just goes to show, like, finishing eighth at Downeyville, you know, that's um, a kind of a, a testament to Josh's um, uh, riding ability both up and down. Uh, Josh, I guess getting – I was going to circle back to Downeyville, and I'm glad we're, we're back on that topic. Is you <laughs> It's know, a cool race. It's a cool – I've never raced it, you know, and so just like I had never been to Sedona or just like I'd never been up to the San Gabriel Mountains here locally, uh, I, I feel like i got to get out to Downeyville one of these days. That is a fantastic experience, even if yeah. all you do is go up there and sit in the river and drink beer like <laughs> a lot of people. That yeah. sounds like a great experience too. Yeah. Definitely. But I was going to ask, so – so you, you mentioned that you've been racing uh, your uh, a tall boy. Uh, is that a tall boy LT or or just a standard tall boy? Regular tall boy. That's a that's a good subject. Um, so I have a first generation tall boy, which is a 2010 model. I think that's about when they came out. It's yeah, a 135. OG. OG. A 135 rear spacing old tall boy. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, I'm struggling to find a bike to replace that thing with. Uh, I tried a whatever the cross country Rocky Mountain equivalent is. What's the element? The, travel? the element didn't yeah. quite agree with you. Yeah, well, and largely because of the fit problem, right? Yeah, had a similar fit problem, and uh, that wasn't a, that wasn't necessarily sag related. I think there were other things going on with the geometry of that bike, um, right. and it was marginally lighter, very marginally lighter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just couldn't do it. And that was two years ago, and I've, now I've got this five-year-old, almost six-year-old tall boy that I'm struggling to find a bike that's as versatile, you know? Uh, yeah. You can race it cross-country. You can put wide tires on it and fake it with guys on trail bikes if you have to. Um, it weighs 5.1 pounds. The frame weight's 5.1 pounds. Don't let anyone fool you. The second-gen bikes are not lighter. <laughs> um, <laughs> jo- Josh, Josh is a weight hound. He will find out what a bike really weighs. Yeah, hopefully. If I can do it without you know, investing $4,000. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's been a struggle for me, to find a cross-country full suspension bike that uh, – you know, I need one that the path sells. Um, but honestly, they're, they're just really – is not very much out there that can do as much as that bike can. It can be fully cross country raceable. Like if you don't if you don't run a dropper on it, you can build a twenty two and a half pound full suspension bike. Yeah. Um, or you can put a dropper on it and fat tires, and have a twenty four pound really capable fun bike. Right. That you yeah. can Race at Downeyville. Yeah, definitely. And 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 you're not the only one I've heard that from. I think that that story of the the Santa Cruz tall boy versatility of you can build it however you want, and it it can really perform in in all arenas. Is a um, that opinion is shared by a lot of Tallboy owners. Yeah, and so you know the rumor is there's a new one coming. Whether it's going to be a, a cross country bike or a long travel bike uh, or longer travel bike, I think we don't know yet. My speculation is that it's going to wind up somewhere in the middle. So. Yeah. Well, what we do know is the Tallboy is still in the lineup, and the Tallboy LT is no longer in the lineup. Right. Right. So the, I mean, the totally finger in the wind, I'm guessing what they're doing mm-hmm. is we're hoping to see something new from them in the full suspension 29er realm, it, either next year or with between now and the next year. So what is your tall boy, your, your standard tall boy, 100 millimeter travel? Uh, how do you, how do you change that up for Downeyville or how do you set that up for Downeyville down? That's got a, the downhill and the, the, the climbs and the, well, I always will run a 120 fork on it. I'm sure everybody's doing that for years now on those bikes. Um, I think I've always done it. So that doesn't change. Um, I just find some tires that I think will survive up there. And that's been a challenge. I think I've done that race 
I don't know, six or seven times and two or three I've gotten flats because – not not in recent years, but in, in the yeah. early years before I figured out – Hey, you really got to run heavy tires here. <laughs> what, what was it that What was it that Adam Craig said when he was up there? Was like everybody wants to run light tires at Downeyville. You can't run light tires at Downeyville. <laughs> I think was that not his response to Levi Leipheimer? Yes, um, flatting two flatting. or three years ago. Yeah, yes. I think that was exactly what he said. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. So that is the case. Those there's a bunch of embedded granite there that is razor sharp, and there's just no escaping it. You're going to get tired, and you're going to run through razor sharp granite. Better have badass tires yeah definitely so are you talking uh um schwalbe uh, super grav uh, casings or are you talking no, about no. <laughs> like maxis exo casing will right. get you uh, i've raced that there um and that's enough yeah exo or trail skin i think are two solid options for a, a downyville race situation yeah now that being said very specifically downyville race now if i were to go up to downyville for fun riding for a week I would be on double downs or super grabs simply to just charge on the downhill the whole time because right. you'd be running shuttles and things like that. But remember, Downeyville is – so the rules of Downeyville are it's a cross-country race and a downhill race combined. you got to do both. Same bike, no changes. And I actually had this conversation um, when I signed up for the race. I said, hey, well, what if I damage a tire – but my replacement tire is slightly lighter and it changes my bike way out. They said, well, <laughs> they were actually pretty honest. They were like, well, first of all, if you get a flat, you're not in the running. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> and secondly, they're like, to the rules, you should show up with exact replacement tires if you need to do that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, so technically speaking, it's uh, now in reality, I don't think the uh, margin of error on their scale is that close. They're just making sure your bike suddenly doesn't weigh two pounds less. But like if it's an eighth of a pound difference, that's probably in the noise, and they'll probably let you slide. But the spirit of the the spirit of the race is you start the entire weekend on the tires, or you finish on the weekend, or the tires that you start the weekend with. <laughs> that's the idea. I don't know how much of that's going on at the front of those fields, but uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, um, I don't really make any other changes. I think I added a chain guide. I make sure I've got gearing that's um, you know it's a one by eleven. Make sure I've got gearing that I can pedal hard uphill for an hour with yeah um and you run uh one one specific thing i guess just a difference between josh and i on our setups when we race downhill josh clearly the more experienced downhill racer and the better results by far <laughs> um he runs two water bottles on his uh cross country or on his bike for the cross country race and i was running a lightweight camelback yeah, I actually ran one bottle on the bike and got a handoff at the top. Oh, that that's yeah, right. But that's but right. you need for me I need two bottles. Two yeah. big two big bottles. In fact, you made fun of me last time when I took the tequila at the top. Ah, you yeah. didn't think it was a badass tequila, but I don't drink and any tequila was a lot of tequila. So yeah, slightly dehydrated and at 125 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, we we, yeah. we got to paint this story a little bit a little bit better. So so Josh racing up to the top of of the first climb in the in the Downeyville cross country it starts with a 3000 foot climb up to about 8000 feet so you're huffing and puffing you're turning yourself inside out and you finally crest and the crowd all hangs out there just to watch the suffering and they're holding out cups and you don't know what the cup is it might be water it might be beer it might be margarita or straight tequila well and i think these were Organizer supplied margaritas <laughs> if you know what i mean but it wasn't made clear 
that that was the case. <laughs> yes, you know? and that was not your preference at that point. That was point. not what I thought I was grabbing, no. And it, I, I'm, I'm so ill-experienced when it comes to drinking any alcohol that I, I took it, I put it down, the whole thing, all at once, and I thought, that's a funny taste and energy drink. <laughs> your, co- your Coke's gone bad, dude. <laughs> and about, about probably 30 seconds or a minute later when I realized, oh, no, <laughs> as it was burning while it was going down, I thought, you know, then, then the downward spiral, the, the mental yard sale began <laughs> as, as I'm cresting the top about to pedal into Sunrise Trail where I need everything I've got left. Um, yeah. yeah. But it might have relaxed you for the downhill. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it made any difference. I always <laughs> finish about eighth. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. That's a uh, yeah. That would have been an unpleasant surprise for anybody. I think <laughs> certainly was for me. So, kind of on the um, the the kind of different trail or different bike setups. Um, we, I think, in our last show or maybe two shows ago, we were we were talking about getting ready to head out to Sedona. And that Sedona trip has come and gone. Um, we were, I, I personally was very sad to, to see the weekend end. Yeah, definitely. You know what? I, I was thinking uh, we were going to chat about Sedona, but I think there's actually, there's two, two ride trips that you've been on. And I think the other one Josh has been to as well. At least part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we start, we save the Sedona one for a later episode. Fantastic. And, uh, Maybe bring up the Gabes a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So the San, San Gabriel Mountains uh, here in Southern California, they sit above uh, the the uh, maybe Jet Propulsion Laboratories fame uh, campus that's out in Pasadena or La Cañada Flint Ridge. So I guess Nathan, Nathan, and or actually lots of people have ridden out there, but maybe in the past few years, one of the changes has been uh, there's a, a shuttle service that that will pick you up basically at the at one of the uh, JPL parking lots and drive you all the way up to the top of Mount Wilson Observatory. One, one thing I will clarify is it the parking lot is not on the JPL property, as the security <laughs> guards will very strongly clarify if you accidentally try to wander onto the campus. <laughs> that's very true. It's a parking lot that's actually be maybe I don't know behind or adjacent to. Um, it's on the opposite side of JPL from the La Cañada High School side. So if you're driving up to the parking lot and you're actually driving into La, uh, JPL, you're on the wrong side. Uh, yeah. So, and uh, and this, uh, shuttle, this particular shuttle service um, is uh, called SCOA. It's Southern California Outdoor Adventures. You can go online. Um, I love their service. Their website needs work. It's very frustrating to try to sign up. I... Their service is awesome and is totally worth it. But um, if you're ever in the area and you want to do a shuttle run in the San Gabriel Mountains, check them out. I think it's SCOA.net, S-C-O-A.net. SCOAoutdoors.net. There we go, SCOAoutdoors.net. And they have a 20-man van. And uh, so sign up ahead of time, and, and their website will tell you uh, how many spots are available and all that. And I think they run two to three times every weekend day and they're fully, it's fully legit. They're licensed, everything. It was, a uh, and, and it's, what was the guy's name? Uh, I believe the, the guy who operates it is Chris. He's quite frequently the driver. Um, if you ever go up there, say hi to Chris and, uh, um, very reasonable fee. I think a shuttle run is $15 and you know what? I'm really glad he's doing it. So I always try to tip him. 
Yeah, that's the truth. And it, um, like, like Nathan is, is fond of saying, it lowers the cost of entry for that ride, definitely. Yes, definitely. And, and, uh, um, Josh has ridden, I've ridden with Josh in the San Gabriels a number of times, and, uh, I have not done the shuttle with Josh. Uh, I need but, to do that for sure. That's, yeah. That's and, on the agenda. And just to clarify. For this winter. We do not go up there with full face helmets and pads and just do shuttle runs. We use this to jumpstart an epic ride day. And so the ride that I took Ock on, we did 4,000 feet of climbing in the day, but we did 8,500 feet of descending, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a... Uh, That's a ratio I'll pay $15 for. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And maybe throw in a little bit of a tip, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that, and that ride went from, I think we got picked up at 8.15 in the morning uh, yep, uh, eight, eight on the nose. I eight. think they have an eight o'clock pickup. Right, so eight on the nose. Make sure you're not late because it's a it's very efficient. Like by eight fifteen, completely, we were we were already on our way. Yes, and we we rode uh, like Nathan was saying, uh, four thousand feet of climbing, eight eighty five hundred feet of descent. Starting on the descent after we get dropped off, of course. But we finished up at about what time? Maybe one to two, one thirty, two o'clock. I think we did a solid five-hour ride. So yeah, I think we got yeah dropped off about eight forty-five and finished up about one. Yeah, so that was um, definitely uh, you know decent pace downhill. Nathan was kind enough to to wait up <laughs> for me and play play trail guide, um, and uh, you know uphill definitely we we kept moving a couple stops to eat. Again, like the um, Honey Stinger gel blocks. <laughs> <laughs> yep, definitely. Uh, like I said, Ock is an excellent trail companion. He always shares his uh, his uh, sugary treats. <laughs> so yeah, so the um, man, the character of that trail is it's big mountain. Yeah, definitely big, big multi thousand foot descents and and just to, to frame this picture and and this is something um, you know we're based kind of a little bit more in Orange County, but um, the the path Tustin Shop is about forty five minutes away from the San Gabriel Mountains, so um, San Gabriel locals or or path locals can definitely enjoy these mountains. Um, it's the it's the Mount Wilson area above Pasadena, and uh, there are some definite views where literally you look in one direction and it is just mountain range after mountain range off into oblivion, and then you look at the other way other side and it's downtown L A. <laughs> It is really cool. It's unique for sure. And I think that's one of the things that makes this area have world-class riding. It's not necessarily that we have the highest quality in every instance. There's high quality, higher quality in a lot of other places. But um, it's that you can go do a ride like that now yeah. <laughs> in December, right? Yeah, And even, even when we're not in a drought, um, there are going to be times and weekends throughout the winter that you can go do that. And that's that's just one of the things I love about this place yeah definitely and um you know one thing as far as quality of riding um and i've talked about this on the show a few times is uh my trip to france and um part of the reason i've been riding in the san gabes is for southern california and actually for anywhere that i've ridden the closest thing to the southern alps in france are the san gabriel mountains outside of la well and i do think the riding there is higher quality than our immediate stuff in the Santa Ana. So, you know, there's a yeah. lot of, if you want raw and gnarly, you can get that here. But up there, there's uh, the trails a little more put together. Yeah, definitely. There's a little and more flow, not a lot of flow down here. Yeah. And and one thing I just want to point out, and anybody who goes and rides the San Gabriels, here's a reality of riding in the San Gabriels. Most of us have day jobs. That's how we afford these bikes, right? 
and most of us get to ride on the weekends. There are a lot of hikers out of Los Angeles hiking those trails, especially the lower elevation trails. Well, here's the catch, and here's just the reality that we need to warm up to, is one, they're there, be nice to them, and two, these trails are really well-maintained, buffed out, in good condition, brushed back, hard dirt work, fresh dirt work that I see on a regular basis, and let's be realistic, they're a big part of that, Yeah, and the quantity of hikers is a a big part of that, so uh, be nice to them, uh, let them buy, get around them carefully, give them a... Uh, give them a holler or a ring of your bell, um, but understand that it's all of the trail users working together that makes the trails awesome. That's a great point. That's a great point. However, on the backside, uh, and I want to clarify the lower elevation trails. You get into the backcountry and you're on your you're by your onesies, <laughs> and it really is kind of on your onesies. And from the top of of Mount Wilson, we get dropped off. And we dropped into a trail called Sturdivant, I believe it was called. Yeah, that was our first drop-in. Josh, I think I've ridden Sturdivant with you before. It's a pretty rad single-track, multi-terrain surface, 2,500-foot. Sturdivant's the one that ends up, I think we ended up kind of a creek bed, bounced through some big boulders. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah, mock mock speed through the trees at the the very end after through the rock garden. And and one of the things that we get to the top and, you know, we – I think Nathan came by my house uh, in Tustin at about 6.30. Uh, we drove up. We made great time. We got up there, you know, 7.30, stopped and and um, made a pit stop. Had an easy time of getting ready. You know, we hop in the van. It's a half-hour half hour shuttle, maybe a little Yeah, longer. half hour, 45-minute mm-hmm. shuttle. So basically, we've been sitting, drinking coffee, and you know, chit-chatting for you know a couple hours, maybe a little over two hours. And you get to the top of the Mount Wilson uh, Observatory, beautiful v- views, like Nathan was saying. I mean, early morning, crisp uh, mountains as far as you can see in one direction, LA skyline on the other side. And he says to me, "Just a word of warning, Ock. It <laughs> we're, it, it gets gnarly straight away." <laughs> and I'm like. okay i think i'm ready for this 20 yards into it it gets gnarly (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh i josh i think you probably remember this the start of that trail is a little bit slightly deserty terrain at least for the first maybe fifth or quarter of it and it's uh century plants that are pokey that are the yucca plants it's sandy it's switchbacky and rocky and uh it was a super cold morning. Another, just another note I want to make that was, this was just like a really cool experience. Is we're frequent, we're using the shuttle to uh, loop in a bigger ride. So we're often the last ones in the shuttle, and we ask for it to do a higher point drop off. So we guys get dropped off at the peak as opposed to this particular trailhead. Oh, Chris always obliges. He's a super cool guy. Drops us off and goes, Oh, hey, you got to be a little quiet the astronomers are sleeping because the, at the top of Mount Wilson, there's these huge observatories. Yeah, like they these, work all night, I suppose. They right? work all night and those yeah. guys are sleeping and we're going right past their sleeping quarters. And uh, it's just a cool experience. It's like, it was probably 40 degrees that morning. That's the truth. We're dropping into this gnarly trail and we have to be quiet for the astronomers. <laughs> well, that, that place is so cool because of that particular uh, uh, outfit up there. You know, that's, Mount Wilson Observatory, I think, is where the expansion of the universe was discovered. I think you're right. I be- right? Yeah, yep, right? exactly. By Hubble. So, yeah. um, it's 
that when I discovered that and we were there and you can kind of wander around, they've got an open museum. It's probably not open year round, but it's, it's open every Saturday that I've been there up yeah. into December. Um, you know, that adds a neat element to the ride for sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, the other cool thing about the San Gabriels is, uh, and we found this out, Josh and I, and another group, we did a ride where we had, we climbed a, a pretty technical single track all the way to the peak. So it was high, pushing and riding and pushing and riding and pushing and riding. And uh, we climbed our way into the clouds, and it was just butt-ass cold and <laughs> wet and nasty. And we got up there and realized there's this little cafe up there for people going to look at the observatory. And they sell bowls of hot chili and coffee oh, nice. and french fries. <laughs> it was amazing. So I always keep cash on me for San Gabe's rides, just in case the Cosmic Cafe is open. <laughs> yeah, that, that place is spe- special for sure. A lot yeah. of fun. And so as we start dropping into this, you know, the upper upper part of, of Sturdivant and it's, you know, through the through the trees, uh, narrow trails, kind of up and down. And if you ever have a chance to check out uh, the race that Nathan did last year, and he will be doing this, the Trans Trans Provence. Um, that's the website is trans-provence.com. Uh, and you watch some of those videos where they're coming into these gnarly rocky switchbacks. Yep. And on the video, they're charging these things, whipping around, you know, dropping a foot, that inside foot, and just railing that that switchback. Um, that's kind of the type of switchback that you're going to see up in the San Gabriels. And and that's where I – that's part – well, one, the riding's awesome. The shuttle, I've got that finally dialed. And two, since I'm going back, this is the most applicable practice. Yeah, and that's um, – man, the first – I mean the whole the whole ride down um, uh, Sturdivant, just getting used to that rocky, steep uh, uh, switchbacks uh, took a, took took a little getting used to. Uh, I think by the time we got to the front side, I was a little bit more adjusted. Uh, again, Nathan, thank you for your gracious uh, patience <laughs> and and even slowing up. I could tell you're slowing up to help like show me the lines and give me that experience. It was it was fantastic. So after we get down to the bottom of Sturdivant, uh, it's it's um. It's probably a, a three mile climb. Yeah, I would say that, and and that sounds short. However, mileage goes. Riding in the San Gabes is almost slower than riding in the Santa Anas. In that, when you ride a whole day and you have a four mile an hour average, you feel like you were working for it. <laughs> and that's yeah. the truth. And it's it's amazing because it's half the time, or maybe more than half the time, climbing up. I think it was the Rim Trail that we that we climbed. Yeah, we we uh, climbed up. Um, I believe it was Gabrielino Trail, the Mount Zion Trail, and then from there we got to this place called Newcomb Pass, right. and then went up this thing called the Rim Trail back up to the peak where we started. And, and literally, there really wasn't much of a bench most of the time. Yeah, it's uh, and fair warning uh, when you start your way up the Rim Trail, there is a memorial. Uh, from the mid '80s, of a runner who fell to their death on that trail, <laughs> it's got some exposure. It, it, yeah, definitely. As Nathan would say, it's it's definitely your uh, inside the fall radius. Yes, inside the fall radius. <laughs> so, um, but it's it's so epic. I mean, the you're you're hiking biking most of the way up um, on these little 18 inch wide trails off camber a lot of times, and l- just looking out over 
over ravines and valleys off to onto other mountain ranges. It's it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about the rim trail on the way up is that particular trail. Um, most of the time, you're hiking on the east side of this ridge, and you're looking over endless mountain. And then a couple of points, you cross up to the peak of the ridge, and you can see over to the west side, and then it's all of Los Angeles. Yeah. And so, and then you peek back over the other side, and it's like nothing but backcountry. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really impressive. And again, we got down to the bottom of we got down to the bottom of Sturdivant, and um, towards the towards the very bottom, I was like. Mama, mama, <laughs> I'm ready for it to stop. It's yeah. It was it was a solid third twenty five minute technical technical downhill. Um, that uh, starting off cold, and I mean cold. <laughs> so I, I tried to Warnock as best I could, and I've had a little bit of practice doing this so far. So I. Uh, um, I've done this loop a number of times. I feel like it's a pretty good payoff loop with the shuttle. and uh, But I tried to give him fair warning. Hey, starting off on a technical downhill in 40-degree weather, you're not going to feel real loose. <laughs> I do it every day. I do it a thousand times over. As much as I was... As much as I had like high on the pucker factor and and I felt tight for a little bit, it's something that I, I really want to go back and do. I would do it every day if I could. Yeah. So it adds to the experience when it's cold like that. And yeah. that's one of the great things about riding in Southern California is a lot of times it'll be just cold enough. Right? Yeah. You're cold, you're a little uncomfortable, but you're not gonna die. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Make it it only takes maybe forty degrees for me to be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, even if it's dry 40. and there's no wind. Come on. Yeah. I can get really uncomfortable, but well, uh, then I mean, you look back at the end of the day, you're like, ah, my fingers were just the right amount of cold. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Couldn't feel my feet for a while, but yeah, it really added to the experience. Yeah. You know, trying to ride with hooves is uh difficult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well and and uh, uh a little a little sound bite that I just remembered that I shared with Ock um, when we were doing this ride. At some point, we were up at the peak and we had to ride down to Eaton Saddle. And it's maybe a seven or eight minute fire or pavement downhill oh, on the shaded yeah. side of the ridge. Oh, that was. That's, and a, it was, that's a whole different ballgame there. <laughs> well, we, we crested the hill and, and on that uh, Curtis Keene on track video series that Red Bull did last year, there's an interview with Chris Ball, the guy who runs the EWS series. And they're talking about the La Twill race where it's just awful cold and they interview him he's like listen it's uncomfortable it's not dangerous take a jacket <laughs> i'm not canceling the stage and so uh, i shared that with ak i said it's it's uncomfortable it's not dangerous uh, or actually i think i turned to ak as we're cresting the hill and i looked at him and i said listen the next seven minutes are just really really gonna suck and there's nothing we can do about it <laughs> well and, and i felt especially bad for nathan i had my windblock beanie under my helmet and i had some windblock gloves thin windblock gloves which helped and gore-tex socks under my under my shoes nathan just had his his re- regular socks on trail gloves and and not even a beanie underneath and so i yep. was cold yeah i was so here's the thing if uh, if anybody is curious about the ventilation on their helmet. Don't ride on a hot day. Ride on a cold day. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know where the vents are very specifically. Well, and we get down to the bottom of this uh, the road ride, and um, you know it's it's called the Eaton Saddle, and there's a little rock wall that's been built up, and they um, uh, and so the uh, this this rock wall has some dark rocks on it. 
And oh, I, that was a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> I stripped off my gloves because I couldn't feel my thumbs. And feeling, putting my hand on the warm rocks, oh, I was like, Nathan, the rocks are warm. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that was awesome. Well, something from my uh, from my dirt bike riding days is, and here's the nice thing about riding in cold weather on a dirt bike, the bike is always making heat. Right. Bicycles don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so coming down the front side, a um, little bit more, I felt like a um, uh, little less foresty, uh, getting more into uh, more of a rocky, rocky terrain. Yeah, and, and just to fill you in, Josh, so our final descent of the day, we did um, Upper Sand Merrill, Middle Sand Merrill, Cutover did Sunset and El Prieto back down to JPL, which is a very common downhill combination. Have, off. I, have I done that one with you? I, I think recall. you've done the Merrills. I don't think we've we done did, Sunset did together. Wilson Trail proper once, I think. Most of the stuff I think I've done with you was probably on the Wilson side, yeah. but I, I know you've been over on the Merrill side yeah, yeah. and yeah. probably done Sunset as well. Yeah, I just remember every time I've gone there, it's been a fantastic experience. And it's sort of embarrassing that we live that close and don't do it more often. But, you know, it's, as we've spoken well, about Auk, it's hard to get away for eight hours a day. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And, and here is the caveat of the San Gabes. And here's, here's the honest fair warning is it's Southern California, it is L.A., and it's a Saturday. And on your way back, you will have traffic. <laughs> and yep. you will be furious that it's a saturday and there's traffic on the way home from your ride but it's going to happen and just be prepared for that <laughs> just remember that it's december <laughs> yeah that's right exactly it's sunny and 70 degrees that's right yeah. because it might have been it might have gotten into the 30s on some of the shady sides at the high elevations and um and so but but coming home driving home like like you guys said it's 70 degrees and and i i kind of take the the perspective on that, like Nathan had warned me about the traffic, is after a ride like that, there's so so much goodness flowing through your body. <laughs> You're willing to tolerate it. That yeah. it's going to take a lot of bad to push me off of that good place. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we, we had, you know what, I, I was glad I could show you that ride. I've been riding there quite a bit in the last few months. I kind of got that that loop and that shuttle routine and how to sign up, how to get it. Like, I got that loop fairly wired and i was really glad um i could show you that loop and and kind of have it dialed and set yeah and that was that was fantastic and i really really appreciated that effort cool so one of the things that um uh would you would you on the on the bike setups on that i i I rode my process 153 on that ride and it was it was phenomenal and i think nathan you rode the uh your nomad Yep, I rode my Nomad out there, and that was the maiden maiden big voyage of a, a Fox thirty six fork of of fame that we've talked about here. Ah, that's right, that's right. Well, you know what? Since um, we are we uh, since we've talked about the thirty six, I'll give a little bit of a Fox thirty six update. Is um, as uh, I'm coming off of a Pike uh, Pike one sixty, and I now got a Fox thirty six one seventy on my Nomad. And I got to say, I'm really enjoying it. Um, the quality of the travel, I think, is very, you know, they're both on par. They're both excellent. Um, I, to the best of my ability, I can say at this point, I think there is some added stiffness in the 36. It feels like I can plow through rocks a little bit more aggressively than with the 35 millimeter stanchion pike. I've yet to try a, a Lyric, and it's probably going to be a while till I do. 
Um, in, in theory, those are a little stiffer. But uh, I've been really impressed with the Fox 36. It is, uh, it's killing it. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Happy with the purchase, and especially that 170 on that uh, on that Nomad with the 165 rear. I feel is just uh, working together real well. Does that fork have the ability to adjust spring rate linearity like the Pike? It does have travel puck style capability. Yeah, that was one thing in the new forks that they did. That's good. Yeah, that's a really nice feature of the Pike. I didn't know if Fox had jumped on that boat yet. Uh, yeah, I think they totally redesigned their spring side. Um, it feels really good. Feels really smooth, and uh, the stiffness, um, the stiffness seems to be there. It's you know it's hard to say. I have no quantifying numbers behind it at all, other than uh, plowing through rock gardens with that thing feels a little bit better. Well, and there was a little bit of a suspense, and maybe we can talk about this on on future shows coming back from as we're wrapping up ride in Sedona. That's going to be future shows uh, teaser. Um, one of our local local uh, pro mechanics uh, hopped on that uh, hopped on Nathan's bike and was pushing up and down and said, "Is that cavitating?" Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we can talk more about that in the future, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it a little uh, little just. The Fox 36 is still totally killing it. It was a little bit of a false alarm, but we'll elaborate later. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, if uh, Josh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up on the show? or? Well, there's the beatnik trail sex story, if you don't like to hear that. <laughs> you know what? I think we got a little bit of time left. And uh, once again, since you're our guest host and you don't join us <laughs> that frequently, um, let's hear it. Okay. What the heck? Um, so this is probably eight or ten years ago now um, and involves some local trails, which we spent way too much time talking about already. But uh, this happened on San Juan Trail, which is a South Orange County sort of long single-track climb, maybe how far you think that is from the trailhead oh. to the to the campground, maybe ten. six miles, eight miles? Uh, probably about that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it goes. it's single-track climb up, and, and another guy from the shop here, Brian and myself, we're doing it on a Sunday afternoon, which we never do, and, and most people don't. Um, we were out there, and it was the middle of winter, so <clears throat> we'd climbed up to the, to the campground at the top and then gone up a little further up a fire road called The Wall and, and gotten about as high as we could, and we'd come back down to the campground, and I noticed as we were leaving the campground uh, to rejoin the the San Juan Trail proper, there's about, I don't know, maybe a mile, mile and a half of sort of two-tracky, one-track stuff. It's kind of wide, but not, not true single-track, wide in places. Um, before you rejoin the, the single-track proper, uh, as we were leaving the, the campground there, there was a Mercedes SL. And, and this is, you know, the middle of winter, so it's probably 3 o'clock in the afternoon, getting long shadows, starting to be the end of the day. So Mercedes SL there with the top down, and that seemed like an odd place for a <laughs> $100,000 German convertible, uh, you know, on a Sunday afternoon. We didn't think much of it. We rode back onto the trail, and about I don't know, half a mile or three quarters of a mile down the trail. We're descending sort of a ridge line, and I can see out in the distance, sort of on the horizon, there's a guy standing there, and he's jumping up and down. And, <laughs> oh, no. and, and at first I didn't think too much of it, and then I noticed he doesn't really have a shirt on. And uh, <laughs> so as the sort of the terrain kind of reveals what's going on, I see that he's jumping. He is jumping up and down. 
he's jumping up and down on one foot, and it's because he's trying to jam his other foot into his pants leg. <laughs> oh, man. And he's naked from the waist down as well. Um, and he's, he's jumping as fast as he can. And then I notice uh, that he's, he's on a blanket, and he's jumping up and down, and, and sitting on the blanket also is a woman who's naked from the waist down trying to cover herself <laughs> with the blanket that he's jumping up and down on. <laughs> oh, so uh, interestingly enough, we, we ride right past these people literally within two feet. I, I could have slapped the guy on the butt. And uh, we erupt in laughter as soon as we're close enough to recognize what's going on. Um, and uh, anyway, you, you can see what happened there. But, uh, <laughs> I'm guessing that uh, it didn't happen that way for him again. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's that is a solid trail sighting right there. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, so the moral of the story is if you see a Mercedes SL uh, on a Sunday afternoon, <laughs> middle of nowhere in Orange County, you never know what you're going to find. <laughs> there you go. And also, that isn't really the middle of nowhere. They should have known better. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they were hoping to be interrupted. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you never. You never know. I mean, full disclosure: at the top of, at the top of the San Juan Trail in Southern California, hidden back in somehow the back roads, there is a nudist colony back there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've heard. Um, Although I, the nudist colony and hundred thousand dollar. Uh, convertible. I think Mercedes. those are different crowds. Yeah. I think it's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the funny part about that story is I think, you know, those people probably thought they were in the middle of nowhere. If, unless they were yeah. hoping to be interrupted, that's the other option. They probably did think that driving up to Blue Jay Campground on a Was Sunday afternoon yeah. and walking three quarters of a mile and just setting up camp for business time yeah. uh, was, was the, the middle, middle of nowhere. So, that oh, gives you some perspective yeah. on, you know, our folk Orange here in County, the yeah, First world problems. Well, yeah. and uh, so here, here's ser- public service announcement of the day. If, if you decide that you are going to play in the woods with your significant other and you're not a mountain biker, find your local mountain biker and check <laughs> how remote this trail actually is. Because right. chances are your local mountain biker will be like, oh yeah, I ride that trail all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they were surprised. Uh, I don't. I don't think they were there to be interrupted. Spread spread the word. Consult your local mountain biker before playing with your significant other in the woods. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, so uh, yeah, I think with that note, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the show for today. It's been great having Josh on there on our uh, on the show here. Um, and uh, once again, uh, I think we introduced this last show with Larissa, which I hope you all enjoy. Um, is uh, <laughs> We are experimenting with two ways to contact us with any questions. We've gotten a few questions, and I think we're going to start addressing those next show. Um, is that uh, one, you can email sales at thepathbikeshop.com, and uh, in, the question, or in the subject line, put podcast question and, and pose your question. The other way you can do it is if you're an Instagram user, which a lot of us are, um, I've started a hashtag. It's hashtag thepathpodcast. Post a picture. For us to enjoy, and if you've got a question um, and it pertains to your your picture, that'd be even even better. But go ahead and just post your question in the text of your photo and hashtag uh, the Path Podcast on Instagram, and we will check that hashtag on a regular basis and try to answer any questions that come up on there. And uh, the cool thing is, you can easily show a picture if uh, that's uh, the subject of your question. And just yeah, so thanks, Nathan, and and just a. A bunch of thanks to those who are sending us uh, feedback on our show. 
Uh, a lot of that is a number of you guys have, have been sending emails, whether it be to, to Ben Wellnack at Mountain Bike Radio or, or otherwise. Thank you very much for the feedback. Uh, we, we appreciate it, uh, both positive and uh, if you've even got negative, uh, constructive criticism, we're open to hearing it too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, this is the first show that we've recorded uh, since we've more or less gone public. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and, and tell your friends. And if you're in the Southern California area, visit the Path Bike Shop and uh, come enjoy the expertise and the selection, or even if you want to just hang out and, and look at some cool bikes. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a good night. <laughs>